Hello and welcome to episode 353 of the Thinking LSAT podcast. I'm Nathan Fox. That's Ben Olson. Together, we're the founders of LSATdemon.com and the LSAT Demon Daily podcast. This episode is going to air on Monday, June 6th. Uh, the next deadline that matters is Thursday, June 30th. We have uh, a registration deadline for the August 2022 LSAT. You don't need to decide today, but in the next couple of weeks, you know, your practice test scores either do or do not justify you registering for that August exam. A rough rule of thumb, if you're not within 10 points on real-timed practice tests, then you probably shouldn't waste a registration for that upcoming test. But if you're knocking on the door of, you know, within, if you're single digits or you're making progress to where you think you're going to be within single digits, then it could be worth registering for that test to give yourself the option to take it uh, six weeks later in August. Anyway, the deadline again is June 30th, and you really don't need to decide until June 28th or 29th. Please come to my free classes. Um, I don't know what the next one is even going to be called, but uh, on Thursday, June 16th, I will be doing a free class, uh, 4 p.m. Pacific, 7 p.m. Eastern. And the one I'm doing this week is called The Right Way to Blind Review. If you go to yeah. lsat.link slash Nathan, you can watch a recording of that class uh, and register for whatever is coming up. But uh, I do free classes every other Thursday on different topics, and you can come study the uh, LSAT demon way with me and um, a whole group of uh, continuing students, paid students, free students. Those are really fun classes to teach and um, hope, hope you'll join us. I don't know what else to say about that. Yeah. Today on the show, we did a logical reasoning question from Prep Test 73. Turned out to be a necessary assumption question. We had a lengthy email from a hard-ass working uh, student who is really kind of focusing on the wrong things. You know, focusing on 180 at the expense of getting to 170 or 175. Sure. Focusing on time at the expense of actually understanding. Focusing yep. on meta-analysis instead of focusing on one damn question, you know, one mistake yep. that you've made. So I think we had a lot of helpful advice there for Ryan. We talked about our scholarship estimator. That's at lsatdemon.com slash scholarships. We talked about a place where the estimator was off by 15% or whatever it was, 10%. I don't know. There's some small <laughs> potatoes. Um, the estimator is not perfect, but uh, it, it does give you a pretty good idea what kinds of offers you might be able to get. We talked a little bit about scholarship negotiation mm -hmm. and when that negotiation really ends. We had an email from a satisfied student who tried Princeton, tried Kaplan, tried private tutors, was feeling totally hopeless, just praying to break 150. And now with the demon is already scoring in the 150s and getting greedy, thinking about 160s. and. Uh, top law schools potentially. So that was yeah. really good news. Yeah. We also presented an excerpt from the LSAT Demon Daily podcast with the awesome Matt and Becca. Those uh, That's a pair of rising Maryland 3L law students who talked about what the LSAT teaches you about law school uh, and all sorts of other cool stuff in that episode. That'll be at the end of this show. We are always hiring if you have a 170 something official LSAT on record 
and you are a demon student, if you are a listener of the podcasts, if you think you know how to teach LSAT or you know how to do the LSAT our way, the thinking LSAT, LSAT demon way, and you documented that with an official 170 something, you can email me and uh, talk about getting into our teaching core. Uh, my email is Nathan at LSATdemon.com. Send me a video of you teaching a game or teaching an LR question. Uh, send me your score report, and then we'll talk about potentially um, giving you a shot to teach our classes. Cool. On to the show. Let's do it. Okay, we're going to kick it off today with an LSAT question. This is from Prep Test 73. It's section four, question number 13. We will link to this in the show notes. So if you want to uh, pause the show and attempt the question on your own and then listen to us talk about it, you are more than welcome to do that. Ben, you're going to read it and I'm going to try to react the way I would in real life. Okay, sounds good. It says, in early 2003, scientists detected methane in the atmosphere of Mars. Okay, I go, so what? Who cares? You know, like, what about it? You're going to mm -hmm. tell me something about this. Got it. They detected methane. Sure. Methane is a fragile compound that falls apart when hit by the ultraviolet radiation in sunlight. Okay, so I'm thinking, you know... Does that mean that the sun is not hitting Mars or uh, is Mars continuously releasing methane and the sun is continually breaking down methane? Sure. Something's going on here, right? I just figure they have an agenda at some point, right? Yeah. I mean, so sometimes they don't. Sometimes they just give me fact, fact, fact. Mm -hmm. And sometimes they actually make an argument. I'm, you know, I'm waiting for the other shoe to drop, sort of like, where's your conclusion? What do you, you know, are you just going to, are you here to tell me fun facts about Mars and methane? Cause that's mm -hmm. okay. But if you're, if you're making a conclusion, then I'm going to try to pounce, right? Like looking for a place to object. So I'm going to understand everything that you're saying. But then the second I see anything that looks like a conclusion, I'm going to say, nope, hold on. Your facts don't justify that conclusion. And you're in a position to do that because you've evaluated the facts that they've given you so far, right? We know that methane's in the atmosphere. We know it's fragile and falls apart when the sun hits it. Yep. But it's like, okay, so what does that mean? I mean, it's there. So maybe it's not getting hit by the sun or it keeps getting replenished, like you're saying. And you know, what you're saying about the conclusion makes total sense. If they give you a conclusion, you're going to jump all over it. But even if they don't, right, then you're also ready for the most common question when they don't, which is, hey, what must be true given what we just told you? And you're like already evaluating that. Well, if I see facts that link together in a way that would justify a conclusion, then I'm going to reach that conclusion before they ever even reach that conclusion, right? If those first yep. two premises could be validly linked into a conclusion. I mean, which, you know, I've already speculated, right? Like, oh, so are you saying maybe that Mars is continuously releasing methane? Now, that's not like proven, but it's something that those two facts might support. Or maybe, yeah, the sunlight or the or sunlight doesn't radiation. hit all of Mars. Yeah. Might be justified shade. by those mm -hmm. facts, right? I'm just like, hey, here's what the record shows. 
here are the conclusions that one might draw from those facts. And I wouldn't vouch for those conclusions at all because I know that they're on like pretty thin ice. It is Mars. <laughs> Good one. <laughs> um, but but I, I would, you know, I, I, it's like if they make that conclusion, then I'm going to call bullshit. But if they don't make any conclusion at all, then I'm going to start thinking about, well, you know, you piece these put these puzzles pieces together and you might get some sort of a conclusion. Anyway, what's this third sentence say? So that's a conclusion indicator, right? So yeah. now I'm expecting them to make, they're going to draw some conclusion from these facts. Any methane in the Martian atmosphere must have been released into the atmosphere relatively recently. Yeah. And so I go, well, Hey, that was the first thing that I was thinking. Mm -hmm. And I was like, if, if methane is there, but methane is a fragile compound that falls apart when hit by the ultraviolet radiation in sunlight, mm -hmm. then assuming Mars is sunny, right? We, we don't know that Mars is sunny. Mm -hmm. For all we know, Mars never gets a single ray of sunlight on it. Of mm -hmm. course, that's not true in real life. But if it were, then this conclusion would completely fall apart. And... Not only that, but if there are any shadowed areas of Mars, like, for example, you know, if you think about the moon, right, we know that the moon has a dark side and a light side. Hmm. Does that mean that the dark side of the moon never faces the sun or does that mean <laughs> it never faces Earth? Well, I know it never faces Earth, um, but I I wonder it probably faces the sun sometimes. I don't know. Yeah. Anyway, yeah. the point it's like that. That's not the point. You're not supposed to know about astronomy, really. No, the point is, is that you're you realize that we don't know. And so this conclusion hasn't been proven yet. Right. Did you know that you say is twice every time you say the point is? No, I didn't know that. Every time continuously. Every single okay, time. I'm going to go back and watch previous episodes. Oh, you could run the tape. I guarantee it. It's every <laughs> single time. I've thought about telling you this a hundred times. <laughs> I, it, <laughs> it's a very common thing that people do. People do it oh, a lot. I mean, I'm sure I have a thousand verbal tics myself. Yeah. Probably involving the F word. But if, yeah, you go, the, the point is, is that, yeah, every hmm. time. Interesting. Um, okay. No, yeah. uh, right. It's like, hey, what if there is a face of the moon or even sorry, a face of Mars mm -hmm. or a piece of Mars? Like what if there's a big mountain or a canyon maybe where the sunlight never reaches or the atmosphere somehow prevents ultraviolet radiation from coming in, oh, even though yeah, sunlight like Venus is coming or something with like a fog of. Yeah, other I mean, I just don't know. I don't think so. I think that's why it's cold, but I don't know. So, yeah. Yeah. Um, another objection might be, well, we know it falls apart when hit by ultraviolet radiation and sunlight, but how fast? Sure. Yeah. Takes a hundred years. <laughs> it takes a hundred million years. Yeah. You know, like everything's relative. If it's fragile, it falls apart when hit by sunlight over millions of years. It's less possible. Yep, and then say. that makes their conclusion look stupid. They're saying that mm -hmm. it must have been released into the atmosphere relatively recently. So I guess anyway, is relative. So maybe that's recent. <laughs> I think the point that I really want to make to listeners is how mercenary we are when we read these arguments. Now I'm yes. going to look up mercenary to make sure that I yes, okay. A mercenary is a person 
uh, primarily concerned with making money at the expense of ethics. <laughs> wow. <laughs> okay. Okay. Well, is that our... Uh... <laughs> no, I mean, but that's how you... I, I've referred to it for... Um, for I've referred to you, you have to be like a sellsword mm-hmm. for Game of Thrones fans. I, I, I think of myself as uh, Bronn of the Blackwater, where it's like, whoever pays me the most... That's who I'm working for. Yeah. yeah. So like I could defend you or I could kill you, <laughs> you know, like either way, I know how to do both. And so that's what I'm that's the way I'm attacking every single one of these arguments. It's like, well, I don't know whose team I'm really on. I'm not on anybody's team. I could be on either team just as easily. And so I could make this conclusion if I was forced to. And I was already kind of anticipating this conclusion before I even got there. Sure. You know, oh, maybe the methane came recently. That's possible. That could totally be true, by the way. It's like that. That could absolutely be true. We're Mars not saying is continuously... that it's false. We're just <laughs> right. saying it's not proven. Yeah. Right. I'm saying it is possible. It is. It could be entirely true. It is not proven by these facts, though. And so, you know, as a mercenary mm-hmm. on the other side, it's like I'm not deciding on a conclusion first. I'm just. I'm I'm just on the battlefield. Yep. And it's like, well, no, I'm going to call bullshit until I know whose team I'm playing for. Anyway. Yeah, the question says, the argument relies on the assumption that. All right. Students should be able to do this in like five seconds. It's a necessary assumption question. On a necessary assumption question, I'm looking for the one the author must agree with. That's it. I really don't want to hear anything else. Like you're you're just muddying the waters. If you have any other way of doing necessary assumption questions, don't say I don't want any other words at all. <laughs> like that people go, "Well, it's the one the author must agree with to make the conclusion true." Mm. And I'm like, "Ooh, hold on a second. Worrying trying to make the conclusion true. That's what we do on sufficient assumption questions." Look, necessary assumption. Which one does the author have to agree with? Which one must be true according to the author? That's it. Don't, I don't want to hear anything else. Just which one must be true according to the author? If you had to treat these questions like must be trues, I think you'd be just fine. Don't you think, Ben? Like 95% of our job just ask would be yourself done. What, yeah, what must be true? If you think of it that way, it's a million times easier. Yeah, what must be true according to this? Yep. Okay. And, and I don't in really fact, have... there are there are some questions, not many, but they actually say what must be true. And the correct answer is a necessary assumption. They literally yeah. say that. Mm-hmm. No, I like it's it's part of this broader family of passage driven, you know, must be true ish type of questions. Like it, it's a it's kind of a reading comprehension question in disguise. Just, you know, one of these is supported by these facts. Yep. Okay. Answer choice A. Does this have to be true? Mars had no methane in its atmosphere prior to 2003. That's a terrible answer. That's so speculative. We know we discovered it in 2003, but that might be the first time we ever looked. Methane could have been, Mars could be made entirely of methane as far as we know. That's a dumb, that's a dumb answer. Yep. B. All methane in the Martian atmosphere is eventually exposed to sunlight. 
So that seems like a pretty good answer. Um, I don't like how strong it is. You know, the the or the all makes me suspicious of it because it's hard to prove really strongly worded answers. But my objection was, hey, what if there's a canyon? And at the bottom of the canyon, there's a place where sunlight never reaches. What if you detected this methane at the bottom of that canyon? You saying that it must have been released into the atmosphere relatively recently because methane is fragile, falls apart when hit by sunlight. You are assuming that Mars is sunny. That's essentially what B says. Yeah, I I had the same hesitation when I saw the word all because I'm like, I just need one, one molecule of methane, right? That's eventually, that's not ever exposed to sunlight. But I checked back and looked at the conclusion and it says, so any methane in the atmosphere must have been released recently, right? So it's the conclusion itself is very, very strong which yeah. means the necessary assumptions to get there can or have the potential to be strong as well. Yeah, students get themselves in trouble by thinking about answer choice strength because they see yeah. that and they just immediately eliminate it because all they're like, no, nope, mm -hmm. necessary assumption question. I don't want strong answers, but the content trumps the answer choice strength. And, mm -hmm. you know, also, by the way, what else are we going to pick? You said one molecule, like all you need is one molecule to make be mm -hmm. wrong. Yeah. But what if that one molecule was the one molecule that the scientists detected? Right. So they are assuming that every single molecule on Mars had to have been exposed to sunlight if they're going to conclude that all the methane on Mars must have been recently released into the atmosphere. Anyway, I bet C, D and E are going to be easy to get rid of. C. Methane cannot be detected until it has started to fall apart. What? <laughs> I mean, what's your evidence for that? Yeah. How, how are you kidding me? Like, yeah, we don't know how we detected this methane. We don't know that it had even started to fall apart. If anything, the author seems to assume that this methane has not started to fall apart. Yeah. Or what? Oh, my God. That's also so broad. It's like this huge claim about methane. Generally, you can never detect methane until it has started to fall apart. Terrible answer. Yep. D, the methane that the scientists detected had been exposed to ultraviolet radiation. Author doesn't have to agree with that because if if that were true, then maybe it wouldn't have been methane anymore. It would have fallen apart. Yeah. Yeah. They just detected it before it got hit by sunlight. Well, that's what they're saying. It it was released relatively recently, so it has not yet been exposed potentially and has not yet fallen apart. I, I, I feel like the facts might justify the opposite of D. E, methane in Earth's atmosphere. Do we want to keep going? <laughs> yeah, I mean, it takes two seconds to read sure. it. So. Methane in Earth's atmosphere does not fall apart as a result of exposure to ultraviolet radiation. Yeah, I would be shaking my head instantly when it started talking about methane in Earth's atmosphere and then saying it the opposite. Like methane yeah. in Earth's atmosphere is different. No, look, there was a premise that methane is a fragile compound that falls apart when hit by the UV radiation in sunlight. Why we have to we... assume that it's different here? <laughs> Why yeah. would we pick something that's the opposite of the facts? No. Yeah. 
The answer is B. And boy, yeah, it's like if you do this properly, you you kind of were already thinking B before you even read the conclusion of the argument. Well, maybe not. Well, kind of, though, right? After the second sentence, I was like, maybe there are places on Mars that don't get hit by the sun. Right. I had two things after the second sentence when it said methane's fragile and falls apart when hit by sunlight. But we have detected it on Mars. I had two thoughts. One, what if it was recently released? Two, what if it wasn't hit by sunlight? Like, what if there's a dark side of Mars? Yeah. And and that was before I even got to the conclusion. And sure enough, you know, the conclusion is about, well, it must have been recently released, which no, there's this other explanation, which is it wasn't hit by sun. And if you're going to reach the conclusion that it was recently released, then you have to agree that it all methane on Mars is eventually exposed to sun because you're ignoring the possibility of that canyon or that dark side or whatever that I was talking about. You can get shockingly good at logical reasoning, y'all. I mean, you can get like ridiculously good at it, but it, it all comes from just attacking the arguments one sentence at a time. You're predicting, I mean, you're predicting the answers before you're even done reading the arguments. Yeah. That's the fun, easy way to do it. Have fun. Yeah. Um, we have a lengthy email here from Ryan. Okay, you read that question. I'll read this email from Ryan. Okay. Hello, my name is Ryan. I've been studying and I have been studying LSAT for a year now. I've been studying alone the entire time and have been studying every single day. I have been watching my score plateau for a long time. Not to mention how demoralizing it is, considering the amount of time and effort I have sacrificed in this test. Nonetheless, I am more than willing to give whatever it takes to give me the score that I want, which is 180. I believe that it wasn't mere coincidence that I have stumbled upon your videos on YouTube about LSAT. Up until now... I have felt that that I was in this journey alone, considering how I am in an environment where LSAT boot camps and academies are not readily accessible. It would mean a lot to me if you would give me just about anything that would help me elevate my score. I am yet far from perfecting the reading comprehension and logic games sections, comma, I would like to start with small steps, so I would like to ask questions, constraint, to logical reasoning section only below is my average performance per logical reasoning section. This is someone who, um, English, English is clearly not their first language. Uh, They are an extremely dedicated, super hardworking, super earnest LSAT student, you know, struggling to overcome, um, a pretty obvious, um, ESL issue. Sure. Incorrect questions due to misreading the stimulus or answer choice, four to five questions per section. Incorrect questions due to conceptual gaps, zero to one questions per section. Time delayed, 38 to 43 minutes. So I guess this is somebody who's giving themselves unlimited time, but then timing themselves. I, ass- I just assume that what you mean is it's taking 38 to 43 minutes to finish a section. Yeah, I can't tell if that's the total time or extra or plus time. 35 minutes. Yeah. Man, if that's plus 35 minutes, then you got a lot of work to do. But if that's if that's 
your total elapsed time then closer okay yeah but i i don't i don't i'm not sure i find that particularly useful right it's like sure that's like everybody (laughs) yeah and you're just gonna run out of time on a couple questions like that's I have observed that it is always the three to four questions, usually in the second half of the section, that costs me two or more minutes. So this is somebody who's timing themselves on individual questions, which we think is a bad idea. Yep. You're focusing on the wrong thing. Right. You're you're using some of your brain power to time yourself. And you need to devote that brain power, even if it's one or two percent of your processing power. You got to close those junk programs that are running on on your mental computer. You got to purge, you know, control, alt, delete, reboot and get rid of that extra shit that's weighing you down. Let's let's talk about this for one second. You said one to two percent of your processing power. I would argue, although I'm not a brain scientist, given what I have heard about it, that it's it's actually taking up 100%. Right. <laughs> because what I've heard is that you can only do one thing at a time, and the idea that you're multitasking is actually an illusion. So yep. you're either focusing on the question and then your mind is shifting gears and focusing on time and then immediately shifting back to the question. What you don't realize is that you are doing one thing um, at a time and in between those tasks, your brain is apparently shutting off. So you're losing all sorts of focus and yeah. It's 100% of your processing power. A certain amount of the time, yeah. A certain amount of the time. (laughs) Yeah. yeah, and the switching costs of going the back switching and forth costs are huge. Apparently, it's like a half a second or something. Yeah, is lost. Yep, you're wasting time thinking about the time. You're wasting focus. You got to stop it. You you got to just focus on the questions themselves. I mean, you've already identified your own problem. Your <laughs> the vast majority of your mistakes are from misreading. Well, then you have to read more carefully. Yeah, if you're skeptical of this idea, imagine how many times you've been listening to this podcast, got mm. distracted by something on the road or just thinking about something or talking to somebody and then going back and hearing things that you did not hear at all. <laughs> like I, it's it's no it's not a vague memory. It's like, no, I didn't hear these words, period. Yeah, and and it's like you think you can multitask like I I listen to podcasts when I'm outside like working in the yard or whatever. Yeah, 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 and sometimes you even just like, what? What did they say? I'll have spaced out. I'll be like 10 minutes into the conversation. I'll be like, "What? What are these people talking about?" <laughs> I have no idea. And all I was doing was like physical labor. Yeah. You know, Flipping so it, leaves. Yep. <laughs> yeah. So you really can't you're there's just no such thing as dividing your focus you're you're doing one thing or you're doing another thing um so this timing you've just got to read more carefully and you've got to give up on the idea that you're going to finish the section you've got to give up on 180 i think this student you know it's just i I think it's dumb frankly i'm sorry i don't mean to insult you ryan but I, i don't think it's smart to shoot for perfection on this test Nope. The 99th percentile is like 173 or 174. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Nobody needs a 180. There's nothing different, actually. When you like apply to law school, law schools don't give a shit about a 180. 
177, 178, 179, those are all 180s. Yep. And you're just putting this enormous pressure on perfection. Right. Which then leads you to think about these things like, oh, geez, I spent one minute and 30 seconds on that question. But to get a 180, I should have spent one minute and 20 seconds. Like, just stop. Just stop. Yeah. So he goes in more to like exactly how many questions take him exactly how many seconds. And it's like Ben and I both look at that and go, we don't give a shit. Some of the questions are going to take longer. Some of the questions aren't going to take as long. Don't care. It just you're thinking about the wrong thing. You need to read yep. more carefully. You need to behave like a lawyer. You need to understand what you're reading. You need to pick correct answers. If you, you run need out to of turn time off at the, the clock. Yeah. If you run out of time at the end of the section, you run out of time at the end of the section. We don't care. You're the reason why you're not yet scoring in the 170s or 175 is because you're so focused on this idea that you're going to get 180. It's just that's a that's not a helpful goal. You're letting the perfect be the enemy of better. Awesome. <laughs> yeah, right. On days where I do not misread any questions, I am able to score a perfect score. However, it's like, yeah, well, huh. that's nice. Yeah. However, on the days where I make stupid mistakes, like reading the stimulus or sorry, misreading stimulus or making weird, unwarranted misinterpretations, I get six or more questions wrong. I mean, I would also say that, dude, even when you score a perfect score, you've misread some shit and gotten lucky. And you're not doing this timed, right? So. Right. Yeah. I try to read every word as exactly. Whoa, you mean at just I try to read every word exactly. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And try to understand as clearly as possible every time I take a practice test. But the score still fluctuates greatly. And this drives me nuts. Boy, real common. I was complaining. <laughs> I was talking to Wade on the golf course about this yesterday. Mm. Yeah. Our students, our listeners, they do not understand that randomness is a thing. They just don't. They just can't grasp it. They don't want to accept the fact that randomness is just always going to be there. You, yeah. I don't care how good you are. You're always going to have plus or minus and you you're 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 chasing the wrong goal if you're trying to eliminate that randomness. You're going to have good days and bad days. I'm a pretty good golfer. I'm going to hit good shots. I'm going to hit bad shots. There's no I can't. And I, and there's no rhyme or reason. I'll hit nothing but good shots and then I'll just start hitting bad shots. I'll hit nothing but bad shots and I'll just start hitting good shots. It's like, well, yeah, because randomness on average, you're a pretty good golfer, but not a great golfer. And you're going to have some good and some bad. And he like so Ryan here is obviously he's getting he's getting so focused on the minutia like he's driving himself crazy. He says this drives me nuts that my score fluctuates. And the thing people don't understand is that law schools only care about your highest score. Only the good ones count when you start taking the test officially. Really, only the good ones count. And that variance is actually your friend. If you are going to get a 180, you're going to do it by luck. You're going to do it because you're going to get to 175 average. And one day you'll get a 180. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Somebody who scores 175 average, though, can score 170 sometimes and score 180 sometimes. And that's ultimately what you should be trying to do. If you're Ryan, you should be looking for, hey, I want to raise my average to 175. 
But then you have to understand that that means some days you're going to get a 170 and some days you're going to get a 180. I would argue, too, though, that his variance is going up. He's got greater variance because he's focusing on time. Like you're just not like you're subjecting yourself to more randomness because how much are you getting distracted? By <laughs> yeah. That? And he thinks that when he gets 180, it's because he didn't misread any questions. But he doesn't what he doesn't understand is that he's constantly misreading questions and he's just sometimes getting lucky. Yeah. He then added a, a lengthy error journal. I did not post that here, but it was like it, it, it's a lot. It's like this whole error journal. Hmm. And I was I was trying to make this point in class the other day. I'm just I'm not an error journal guy. I'm a how about let's actually understand this one error guy. Everybody's always trying to tease out these grand themes, you know, and understand on a conceptual level why you're missing this type of question. But I feel like people use error journals as an excuse for not actually understanding. It's like. I want to move on to another practice test. So I'm going to put this question that I missed into my error journal. And then come back and study it some other time. Yep. It's like misusing a, a task list, right? You're like, oh, I got to do that. So I'm going to put it on my list. And now you feel good that it's on your list, whereas you could just do it. Yeah, right. I, I would prefer that you just understand that one question today like right now like don't put it in the journal it's like oh this is important i'm really confused by this this is important so i'm gonna put it in my journal and then move on to a different question Wh what <laughs> you just said this is important and you don't understand it if you identify something important that you don't understand then that's what you should be working on i don't care what else you had on your study plan or your study schedule or what else other work you were trying to get to. This is the important work. Like you suck. This at is what this. you're looking for. We're <laughs> yeah. looking for the things you no, suck ben, at and don't understand. <laughs> I have to get back to creating my meta analysis of all of my score reports. I have to, I have to aggregate the data so I that I can look for boxes. <laughs> these so that I can. Yeah. It's like, it's simple y'all. It's simple. The LSAT will tell you what you suck at. It's called the questions that you missed. <laughs> like, Show me one question that you missed. That's what you suck at. That's what mm -hmm. you need to get better at. I wouldn't mm -hmm. have missed that question. Someone scoring 175 would not have missed that question. You missed that question. Let's talk about it. I guarantee it's easier than you think it is. I guarantee mm -hmm. it makes perfect sense. We need to grapple with not bigger picture descriptive meta analyses. We need to grapple with that actual question that you missed. Yep. That wrong answer that you chose. That right answer that you did not choose. The question that you didn't understand, potentially. The argument that you misread, potentially. That's the shit that we need to talk about. But it's it's always, I don't know, people just, they they continue to come with you know, questions about timing or questions about these big picture question types or or even things like, but I always miss five on logical reasoning. Which five? Yeah, I know. It's like, <laughs> good, five. Okay, 
let's start with one of them. Like, what was the first one you missed in that section? Because that's probably on average the easiest one. Yeah. So let's clean up those mistakes. But we you don't clean up mistakes by looking at big picture. You clean up by looking at, you know, like, no, look, that dirty dish right there on the coffee table. <laughs> clean that shit up. What are mm -hmm. you doing? Not like talk about I want to clean the house. Clean the fucking house. <laughs> Which I've identified one... five dirty dishes in this house. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. There's Why one do upstairs. I always have five dirty dishes? Uh, how do I go? Exactly. How do I? It's like I'm going to make a list of these five dirty dishes. What are the kinds of dishes that I tend to leave out? <laughs> yeah, right. Exactly. And then they're still sitting there. Yeah. And you're talking about how dirty your house is and how you really want to clean it up. Yeah. You you rinse it off and you put it above the dishwasher. You're like, I'll get to that later. Okay, great. <laughs> yeah. Move it to the counter, <laughs> then move it to the sink, then wash it, but don't dry it and put it away. Yeah. Like, okay. One thing at a time. It's simple. It's easy, but you just got to, you got to like make it, you got to let it be easy by seriously grappling with just one mistake at a time. Anyway, to finish, uh, Ryan's very thoughtful, but by the way, like this is a super nice guy. He, he's like appreciating the content that we've given, uh, for free on YouTube. He says, as an expert who have come across many students, what should a student like me do below? Oh, wait, sorry. Journal. Yeah. Yeah. It doesn't contain every question I have made an error analysis on, but I believe it would be sufficient for you to make a good diagnosis about me. <laughs> and it's like, yeah, Ryan, it is. The, the diagnosis that I'm making about you is that you're building a wrong answer journal instead of actually understanding those wrong answers. Mm -hmm. I mean, you just got to stop with your journal and instead really, really understand it. Once you understand it, then you don't need the journal anymore. I am a hardworking student who is willing to do whatever it takes for me to get a perfect score in LSAT. If you think that a study program or a private tutoring from your institution can help me, then I am more than willing to open up my wallet. I am currently planning on taking my very first LSAT this year in October. Again, I will greatly appreciate anything that you think would help me. Thank you for your time. Hope to hear from you soon. And that's from Ryan. I would love to see you, Ryan, as an LSAT Demon student. I think we could help you a lot. Start with a free account. Start with a free account, which has three official LSATs. Tests you may or may not have seen before, given all the work you've done, but it doesn't really matter. What matters is you go in there, you either take a time section or a test or just drill. And I think you should actually start with drilling because I think you need to avoid being tempted into this analysis. So just drill, which means it will give you one question. You then have to figure out with our explanation why that question that you did is right or wrong, and then go to the next question. And just get in the habit of mastering one question at a time and let go of all this other stuff. Put that energy to where it counts. You're going too fast. You're misreading more often than you think you are. And you're not understanding nearly as much as you think you are. You, you need to go deeper to really understand you, your mistakes that you're making. No one ever, by the way, this is real common, isn't it, Ben, that people don't admit they don't understand? 
People love to admit that they misread, but they don't admit that they misunderstand things. Yeah. And it's like, trust me, I'm an LSAT expert. I've been doing this for 15 years. I still run across stuff that I don't understand sometimes. So you are misunderstanding things sometimes. You know, this is just a good life principle. Today, I woke up tired. And so I went to this new coffee shop that's close to my house. And when I went in, she started saying all this stuff to me that I have no fucking clue about. She's like, oh, drip, drip machine isn't working, but I can do this other thing. I don't even know what she said. And then I said, well, I... And then Americano. I, did she America, offer she you did an Americano? Say, she did. Did she, did she explain it to you? No. So what I said, though, was I said, you know, I honestly don't know much about coffee. I don't really drink coffee that often. I'm just tired today. So I was debating between a latte and a just a dark black coffee or whatever yeah. and she's like okay and she was she then said some more things and i was like yeah i just don't understand but there's you know there's that moment where you want to pretend like totally. this is making sense and you're like oh yeah well okay i'd get them yeah i'll do that and it's totally. like <laughs> it's like no i'm sorry i don't understand and then she's like okay and then i just got the latte and it's done right and it's not this like awkward fake conversation and you need to do the same thing with the LSAT you're like you know what <laughs> I don't understand like why why is that saying what that's saying or what is that even saying I was like in my 40s before I was willing to to go into a coffee shop like that and go what what's that yeah <laughs> You know, like you, you think you're supposed to act cool and like, oh, I know what all these things are. And no, you're not supposed to know what any of those things are. You yeah. might know what they are, but if you know what they are, it's because you were at one point willing to say you didn't understand. Yep. <laughs> Tell me what that is. What's an Americano? And she's going to go, oh, it's a shot of espresso with hot water. Mm -hmm. It's the equivalent of black coffee, but it's just with a concentrate. It's like no different. You wouldn't recognize it. You're not a big <laughs> coffee guy. You would never recognize the difference. It's just like. You could have said, yes, give me an Americano and you would have yeah. been fine. Yeah. Latte just means you're getting milk in it. Yep. So do you want milk or do you not want milk? <laughs> I mean, anyway, yeah, it, it's a big it is a big life skill to just be willing to say what? Who? What? You know, even stupid shit like what's your name again? I know we've met. Yeah. I've totally forgotten your name. What is your name again? Yep. <laughs> I'm a dumbass. You can go what's running, right? <laughs> and then then the conversation can really start. Well, otherwise, you're forced. just it's all built on this whole web of lies and deceit. <laughs> you know, you're just like pretending to know things that you don't really. And you're just I don't know. It's it's just bullshitting. Yeah. Anyway, Ryan is a um, really hard worker who has been, boy, burning a lot of calories. Unfortunately, on things that don't matter and actually hurt, though. So Focusing on one question at a time. If you can put all your energy into that, you're going to make huge progress. Yeah, I would try one month of, you know, if Ryan wants to spend money, like if Ryan wants our direct help, uh, one month of the Demon Live subscription, I think, Ryan, we might blow your mind. I, I mean, you come to class with me, come to class with Ben, come to class with our whole other awesome team of tutors and uh, do one question at a time and focus on really actually maybe for the first time ever really understanding the test in an intuitive way in a way that just makes sense because uh, i mean i guarantee you you're not making 180 if it doesn't make sense to you 
Yeah, the only people sure. who score 180 are like, well, I picked that answer because that's the answer to the question. None of these answers make any sense. That's the answer that makes sense to answer this question. That's why that's the answer. Yep. And you just do that on every single question. That's how you get a 180. It ain't about time management. It's about actually understanding. Yeah. All right. Next one here. This came from um, I've made it anonymous. It came from one of our recent students who is considering whether to attend law school this fall. I spoke to admissions at Mississippi College, and the most they will offer is thirty one thousand per year, not full tuition with a three point four nine. They have a hard line at three point five to get full. Any LSAT scores, 156 and up, are all weighted the same. They told me retaking to get higher scholies, if you're already at 156, is pointless. Just thought I'd pass it along. Yeah, so this is an example of where our scholarship estimator, by the way, it's amazing, lsatdemon.com slash scholarships. You can put in your GPA and play with various LSAT scores and see what types of offers you might get at what types of schools. It's, you know, it's a snapshot. It's an, yeah. it's in an instant. It uses publicly available data. Uh, that is the information that's available on the 509 reports and the publicly available index formulas for each of these schools. Um, we're not making shit up. We're just inferring. We are extrapolating, inferring from the publicly available data what types of scholarships you would be likely to get. But this is a place where the estimator is, is it's saying, hey, you should be able to get a full tuition scholarship, which is $36,000 a year with your 3.49 and your whatever high, higher LSAT. Yeah. And so this is somebody who has talked to the admissions office directly and they say, nope, you got less than a 3.5. Sorry the maximum that we can possibly give you with any LSAT is $31,000 per year. So it's a slight difference, but I mean, that difference, Ben is not 20%. This is still an 80 something percent full ride. So this is a place where like, you know, this is a quibble. Um, she's pointing out that the estimator is not perfect and yeah, it's not perfect. It's an estimation. We're getting as close as we can get without, you know, being inside the admissions offices themselves. It's an, it's an interesting um, thing that they're doing because I just looked up um, LSAT.link forward slash index. Mississippi does publish their index formula, right? Um, it looks like they give a little bit more weight to the LSAT, 67% more weight. So almost weighing it twice as much as GPA. But in any case, they have an index formula. They're obviously putting people's LSAT scores and GPAs into that formula and then ranking them. But despite the fact that the index formula may put someone super high up on the ranking or high enough to get a full tuition scholarship, they're then digging back into the numbers and saying, ah, well, you have a below a 3.5, so we're not going to give you above $31,000. It's an interesting methodology. I mean, it's they might have whatever their rubrics and metrics are that they use yeah. internally in addition to that index formula. I'm looking at their 509 now and I see that 3.56 is their 50th percentile. So, you know, 3.5 mm -hmm. and below, you are lowering their median and yeah. they don't want their median to go down. They want their median to go up. You know what they might be saying, who knows what they're saying? I mean, also, who knows if they're even telling you the truth? 
Like, that's what they told you. Yeah. Does that mean that that's what they always do? I mean, that would they really pass policy? up a 169, you know, or whatever you have? It's it's an interesting. Well, I can also see why admissions offices might not give a shit once you're already above their. If you're above their 75th, then you don't change their public data, right? Like that's true. It, yep. Their 75th at this school is 159. So if you scored a 160 or a 170 or a 180, it wouldn't really show up on this publicly available data it just doesn't show up on the 509 but anything below a 3.56 does so you're a splitter to them you're lowering their median lsat lowering their median gpa but raising their median lsat and and they're just like nah we're gonna need you to pay a little bit but it is a pretty small amount i mean five thousand dollars a year tuition yeah that's probably that sounds less than their actual like a legit tuition would be which we're guessing would be maybe ten to fifteen thousand a year if schools were if they were charging what it was worth, like yeah. if they were deliver like charging related to val to to like services Value. rendered. Yeah, yeah. I mean, point is, it looks to me like they're giving you one of the best scholarships they can give you. Yeah, and so you know, <laughs> I would say that there's always exceptions. I mean, they can have that policy. They can tell you that's what their policy is. And you could say, yeah, but can you make an exception to your policy? Yeah. And maybe they do. And maybe they don't. And maybe they do, but not for you. Or maybe they do for you. (laughs) It depends on if you're willing to walk away for one thing. Yeah. You know, I don't think you would ever know for sure until you walked away. Yeah, I have to agree with that 100%. I mean, geez, all these, they're trying to give you the smallest amount that you will say yes to. That's what all schools are doing. So if if some that's what negotiations are about, why wouldn't this be also subject to negotiation? It'd be foolish for it not to be. What kind of a lawyer are you if you don't think it's like the negotiation is always open? It's always happening too. This is probably part of the negotiation. Of course right? it is. Shut down the questions by just saying we have this policy. We have a hard line at 3.5. Okay. Cool. Yeah, but <laughs> yeah. Okay. I mean, and yeah, ultimately you could say, oh, okay, well, I guess I'll try again next year. Mm-hmm. Or, oh, okay, well, I guess I'm going to go to this other school. And then we'll see how serious they are about this hard line. I was able to talk to uh, the dean and we, we made an exception oh, in your case. I've seen <laughs> law schools do it. I've seen, <laughs> I've, I've heard of the phone ringing an hour later. Yeah. Like you call them and say, yep. Boy, I really regret this, but I'm going to withdraw my offer, my uh, application because I'm going to this other school for a full ride. Yep. After negotiating hard for scholarships, they told you they couldn't do it. And then you withdraw your application. And then an hour later, they call you. Oh, yeah, actually. (laughs) So who knows? And, and, And that might not happen. I mean, and they could just be serious about this hard line, but we don't know. We don't know until you have a hard line. Yeah. That said, if you decide to go and, you know, pay $5,000 a year, then that's not a disaster, right? I mean, you're, you've gotten, don't let the perfect be the enemy of the good. You've gotten as close as you could get maybe with them, then okay, fine. Maybe that's good. Still, yeah, a lot, <laughs> a lot better than a bunch of other scollies, as this person puts it. All right. Next email. 
Yeah, this email is from Aaron. Aaron is someone who signed up for uh, tutoring with me. And in our first session, I realized that she was shooting to apply this fall. This is a, a couple months ago. And um, <laughs> go to law school next fall. And I was like, wait a sec, please, please. Just given where you're scoring, stop and shoot for the next next cycle, not this cycle. Um, you're already, you know, way behind. And she agreed, thankfully. Um, wow. She was a little hesitant at first, but, you know, we see this all the time. People just come in and they have a certain, like, idea of their timeline and what they're going to do. And I hadn't heard from her for a while, but then she emailed me yesterday on Memorial Day and said, Hi, Ben, sorry to bother you on your holiday weekend, but I had to send over this note. I took a practice test in Law Hub and scored a 156. I was in total shock and thought maybe it was just luck. So I took the proctored practice test yesterday and scored a 152. Since starting LSAT Demon in March, I have seen a 14 to 18 point increase from my first diagnostic, which was a 138. Ouch, I know, she writes. And a 10 to 14 point jump from my official first LSAT, which was a 142. I can't thank you enough for your advice about holding off and applying for this applying for this fall and committing to the demon process. While I still have a long way to go, I can't believe these increases. Before you guys, I spent countless time and money through Princeton Review, Kaplan, and Tutors with little to no progress stuck in the 140s. I went from feeling totally hopeless, just praying to break 150, to barely getting into a regional school to now thinking if I stay the course and grind it out, a top law school just might be possible. Anyways, sorry again to take time away from your weekend, but I just had to say it again. Thank you. Yeah, it's just a totally different mentality. And I hope people realize that if they're in the same boat, they can do it differently and have a totally different outcome. You can get to 160 with like, Really, all you have to do is get the easy ones right. Yeah. I mean, slow down, focus on accuracy, run the table at the beginning of every section. Just get 10 in a row at the beginning of every section. And that's because you've taken the time to solve them yeah. and get them all right. Like you have to figure them out. You have to do the work of a lawyer to figure them out and realize that the right answer makes perfect sense and the wrong answers make no sense at all. You'll feel, feel that click. And when you feel the click, you know, you're getting it right. And then you just do that one question at a time over and over patiently until you run out of time and you, you guess on the ones at the end, <laughs> you know, this like Princeton and Kaplan and these other bullshit tutors that she's worked with are, I'm sure teaching her about time management and, you know, don't you got to move on, got to keep moving, can't spend too much time on any one question, got to make sure you finish the section. <laughs> and it's like, then you're skimming the surface and you're not really understanding. And then you don't make progress that way because you're not you're just not I don't know, you're not really doing it right, Ben. Yeah. You told me one time or I heard you say to a student <clears throat> that a missed question is the worst waste of time. You've spent time on it. Yep. But you didn't get paid for it. So all the time you spent on it was completely wasted. Yeah. 
So you're so worried about time management that you didn't spend enough time on that question to actually get it right instead of getting it wrong. Yeah. You know, you spent two minutes on it and you thought it was a disaster that you spent two minutes on it. But you got zero points for it. And that's yep. the real disaster. The, <laughs> if you had spent three minutes on it, but got it right, that would be a hell of a lot better than spending two minutes on it and getting it wrong. Two minutes, zero points or three minutes, one point. <laughs> Which one's better? Yeah. I mean, it's not a little bit better. It's 100 percent. It's a billion. It's infinite percent better. <laughs> to spend the extra time and get it right instead of not spending enough time skimming the surface and getting it wrong. That's fantastic. I'm glad that this student is waiting another cycle, you know, going to really put their best foot forward uh, at the beginning of their legal career here with <laughs> applying early in the cycle with the right LSAT. And this is going to, yeah, we are, or you Ben, I mean, you changed this person's life by having this real conversation with them. It's totally different. It's just a totally different outcome. One thing I would tell you, Aaron, is that you took a practice test in Law Hub. Um, I'm glad that you took a practice test, but my hesitation with you taking it in Law Hub is that you don't have easy and immediate access to our explanations after you take the test. And boy, that's where the real progress takes place. I think you're starting to see that, obviously, when you review questions because your scores are going up. But, uh, you know, take it in the daemon so that you can then immediately review it and hit the ask button if you have questions. You're already a daemon user, so take advantage of it. The ask button. There's a whole team of LSAT teachers that are right there behind that ask button. And yeah. you just type out a question. Hey, I don't understand X, Y, Z doesn't be answer the question because of these reasons. Yeah. And then there's a whole team of tutors who will get back to you with the help that you obviously need. Cause you're just, you're, it, I promise it's something simple. You're not understanding something simple and we can help you understand that simple thing. And that's yep. why we've been able to help people improve their scores by 10, 20, even 30 points sometimes. Yeah. It's easier than you think you're, you're making it hard by rushing and not really understanding and we're going to make it easy just one question at a time so yeah that's awesome boy sky's the limit for somebody like aaron yep um <clears throat> speaking of sky being the limit we are now going to present an excerpt of a conversation from episode 237 of the lsat demon daily and it's going to be two former students of ours Becca and Matt, they are both rising three L's at Maryland Law, and they did a really excellent episode of the Demon Daily podcast, which um, comes out five days a week. It's in all the podcast apps, but it's it's actually really popular now on YouTube. Yeah, it's interesting. Mm -hmm. um, I think because it's shorter episodes, I guess. But yeah. we're going to present the audio and video here. Conversation from Matt and Becca. By the way, they're both there on scholarships. They took our advice. These are people who did what we recommended, and they're both very happy that they did. Yeah. So they're successful Maryland law rising three L's who aren't paying tuition to go to that school. And they did a really nice conversation about what the LSAT teaches you about law school. And uh, we'll turn it over to Matt and Becca. 
So uh, the reason we're here today is uh, we got some questions about whether LSAT prep uh, prepares students for law school. And so um, I wanted to bring you on just because, you know, you're just finished your second year. Um, and so let's talk about what the LSAT does prep you for and what it does not. And then um, maybe we can uh, point some people to some helpful resources as we wrap up. So um, what do you think the LSAT preps you for for law school? So one thing, as I like to call myself uh, quite the uh, reading comp guru, I definitely will defend until I die that LSAT reading comp is a great preparation for a lot of the kind of reading that you do as a law student with very dense and very convoluted texts that are not immediately interesting and are not written to be easy to comprehend. And the strategies that you use to be very good at reading comp on the LSAT for instance, being able to talk back to the text and ask questions and summarize what you've read and predict where they're going. All of those things that we do in class every day are the things that you should be doing while you are reading your textbooks and reading opinions and all these old documents and all this stuff that you read for law school. You have to be able often to manufacture interest in what you are reading and you can do that successfully on reading comp, master reading comp on the LSAT, and directly transfer those skills. So that's yeah. one. What about you, Matt? What's something you think you really see the benefit? I'm going to piggyback on uh, reading comp and say that I think reading comp and like the identification of the main point is an exercise of identifying the case holding. Um, that directly translates. And the way um, uh, that I've been challenging some of the students that I've worked with at the Demon is saying like, hey, I want you to tell me what this is and why I care. Um, I typically say of like, what's the topic and why do I give a shit? And like that essentially is the main point, right? And so what is the main point of a 60 page case? Like you have to do the same kind of thing. And then I challenge people to try to do it in as few words as possible. I'm like, hey, try to do this in eight words or less. And they're like, ah, I can't do that. And I just point to the idea of two cases that I think most people are pretty familiar with. And that's Plessy v. Ferguson, which is separate but equal. Mm -hmm. That's essentially the case holding. We got three words for that. And then the repudiation of Plessy is Brown v. Board, which you're, of mm -hmm. course, going to study in your con law classes, where the holding is separate is inherently unequal, four words. Mm -hmm. And so um, that sort of main point identification on reading comp is really, really helpful and does translate to a useful law skill. Um, mm -hmm. I want to pivot to logic games because that's my, my jam. Yeah. Um, uh, and I argue that logic games... Um, I didn't even realize this, but logic games, even their physical structure of how they present the game rules to you is almost identical to how statutes are drafted. You have like a little paragraph, like giving the preamble of a statute. And then you have a bunch of rules of like, did this person commit murder? Yes or no. Here's the necessary and sufficient conditions. And so like all of those kind of things the concepts of sufficient and necessary and like that directly translates. In fact, it's all over case 
uh, all over cases, you'll see justices literally say, this is sufficient, not necessary, or this is necessary, not sufficient. They say that all the time. So those concepts that you learn in logic games also translate. But even just the structure, the practice mm -hmm. of reading that stuff looks like statutes. It looks like the rules of evidence. It looks like the um, model uh, penal code. And so like all of those kind of things that you're practicing on logic games, uh, it's priming you, it's training you, even if you don't necessarily know it, towards future legal um, school Wow, this is terrible how I'm saying this. Le your legal future school. legal yeah, legal school, your future legal education. Yeah, and I think that's a good point too because what's going to happen in your criminal law final, regardless of where you go, is your professor is going to write a little story called a hypo and he's going to say this guy robbed a store and then he ran away and the officer did this, da 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 da, da right? All of these things and you are going to have to go back to the rules of what, according to the statute, what does it, if I want to charge him with robbery, what rules do I have to follow? And you're going to do the exact same analysis like with a logic game where it says, you know, if we put the orange CD on top, then the red one has to be below. Same thing. Oh man, if he doesn't have this mens rea, then I'm going to have to use, it's yep. like, it's as if they knew what they were doing. Ah, they knew what they were doing. Yeah. Um, what about LR? What do you th so we you you talked a little bit about reading comp. I talked about logic games. What do you think about LR? Definitely, it is. I mean, first of all, LR is bite sized reading comp. So, and I I will be beating that drum until the day I die. So already you're still practicing those same reading skills. The other thing that I think LR because it's shorter, it hones in on did they make that point ironclad. And when you do legal writing exercises in your legal writing courses, they're going to give you cases and they're going to give you a situation and you have to write an argument as well as you can to say, my client is not, you should not be charged with this or whatever. All that to say, you're going to use this skill of looking at an argument and saying like, well, oh, they have that huge flaw right there. Oh, look, answer choice D. Instead of finding answer choice D, you're going to say, there's that huge flaw right there. So I better find a way to use this case to fill in that flaw or whatever. And I think because you get the smaller pieces with LR, you get to zero in on that a lot more and kind of analyze, is this a good argument? And if not, how am I going to deal with that? That's how you write. Yeah. I And I want to add to that, that I feel like like the vast majority of LR is debunking bad arguments, right? Um, I mean, there certainly must be truths and supported and paradoxes and like that kind of stuff. And those are probably, you know, eight to 10 questions um, uh, per section of 25, maybe a little bit more, maybe a little bit less. But the vast majority of these things are identify the issue with this argument and then strengthen it, weaken it, um, uh, tell me what the point is, et cetera. And like, that's a case walking in the door for your future client where they have a shitty case and you're like, oh, this case is weak. How do we strengthen it? Or the opponent's case is weak. Let's attack it, you know, mm -hmm. um, those kind of things. So I think that there's like these little bite-sized opportunities to be a lawyer, to be an advocate, which is again, training those skills towards law school. 
The mm-hmm. other thing that I really like about that, because they're not good arguments, they're actually flawed arguments, I think we learn so much more from making mistakes mm. and grading other people's mistakes. And so I think the LSAT in that way is actually brilliant because they're giving you all these opportunities to learn from mistakes about logic flaws and those kind of things where you're essentially the teacher in that moment teaching the LSAT what they did wrong. And so Mm -hmm. I I just like how that juxtaposition is useful for training people. And that does, this is the other drum that I'll never stop beating. That does also remind me of the very important point of if you absolutely hate what you're doing on the LSAT, there's a very good chance you're going to hate law school. And there is a little heart to heart that you need to have with yourself called this test is actually pretty I don't think it's accurate to everything. We're going to talk about that in a second, but this test is pretty good at giving a a taste of what is law school like? Am I good at some of the skills I need? Can I gain some of those skills? And if you just hate it, yeah, literally do anything else to, to talk about conditional reasoning. Um, I think the LSAT and getting the skills and those kind of things that the LSAT test is necessary for success in law school while not being sufficient, right? Yeah. Like you need to be able to do these things. And I would hope that you enjoy it at least somewhat. Mm-hmm. You don't have to enjoy it to do well at the LSAT. Right. You also don't have to enjoy law school or enjoy being a lawyer. Right. I encourage you to do something that you enjoy in your life. And so if you don't enjoy those things, maybe think a second thought. Yeah. Um, okay. So what do you think that um, the LSAT doesn't prepare? Um, and, and I have some resources that I'm going to read about in a second, but um, what areas do you think that it doesn't necessarily prepare you? So depending on how you're studying for the LSAT and the things in your life, a major factor in law school that obviously can't be reflected on a standardized test is the massive amount of stuff juggling, right? Yes. You have time commitments. You have five different classes. You might have a clinic. You might have, there's all these things going on. All the extracurriculars as well, like moot court, mock trial, clubs, all that stuff too. Yeah. Uh, Yeah. Exercise, showering, eating food. Because those suckers, I know some people have a drop to those by the wayside. Did you do anything uh, outside of the norm, uh, say during your time at law school so far? (laughs) So weird you should ask. Matthew, I would say probably the weirdest thing about me as a person is that I intentionally had an entire human being during law school, my son, who kicks ass and is better at anything than anyone else coming for you, Michael Jordan. Um, But I would say that although possible, you know, definitely all of that juggling that has to be done. That's just not something you're that is reflected on the LSAT and also yeah. not some, when not like it can, there's nothing wrong with the test that it can't do that. But I do think that maybe the majority of your success in law school is about juggling and keeping up with all these things. And sometimes knowing which thing to drop, you can't do it all. And every now and then you have to not go to that meeting and you have to not get, you know, that reading done at that time. So um, those that ability to have this sophisticated time management, that's often a life experience. You just had to have it. And maybe you learn it from the first time in law school. But um, I think that's a big one. Yeah, I want to double down on that. I think people, uh, the LSAT can 
teach you some things about hard work. It is a test of how hard you are willing to work. Um, you know, I came in with a 152 and a year later I walked out with a 171. And mm -hmm. I know that was a kind of a long journey for me, but I was working while doing this and like all the things. I think that there's some aspects of that juggling, but as Sarah Kamuni, who was just on um, the Demon Daily earlier this, uh, or I think it was earlier this week, um, she talked about how 1L is the hardest she's ever worked. And yeah. I, I would agree with that sentiment. I was reading probably eight hours or more a day, seven days a week, plus going to class, plus my work at the Demon. Um, mm -hmm. I don't recommend working in law school, uh, but I also don't have loans. So I'm paying not taking those loans. Which I encourage people not to do. Don't don't mm -hmm. don't don't take loans if you can avoid them. Um, it's just paying your your future self is paying interest. So anyway, uh, that juggling I I completely concur with. Um, just the sheer amount of reading, the LSAT is not going to prepare you for that. Uh, the the depth of the reading, the analysis, that mm -hmm. kind of stuff, again, is not going to prepare you for. Which is gonna, why I'm going to turn to a book recommendation list that we have at the Demon. It, there's a, the first book is Don't Go to Law School Unless. Um, it's just a great book for everybody to read. Um, then some actual um, uh, sort of like doctrinal classes um, or doctrinal books. Getting a Running Start, Your Guide to Your First Year Curriculum is excellent. Um, getting to Maybe How to Excel on Law School Exams is excellent. Um, and then there's a bunch of other things like Legal Writing in Plain English, Point Made, style, lessons in clarity and grace. We have an entire list of these kind of things at the Demon, um, and I'm going to put that uh, in the show notes. But I encourage you, like, check out some of these books that we're recommending. I'm also going to recommend that um, uh, I recorded a podcast. Uh, it was episode 161 with Michael Hill. He's a um, now a rising 3L at GW in D.C., and we talked about some advice for incoming students just to sort of think about. And so there's some resources there. So check those out. They'll be in the show notes, that kind of stuff. Um, Becca, where did you study for the LSAT? Okay, so I was uh, finishing a master's in school administration and teaching middle school English, as well as, of course, you know, studying for the LSAT and all that. So I did study... I actually, I did almost all my study at my kitchen table at my house in Peoria, Illinois. Thank you very much. And I would definitely say that as much as we just said that the LSAT itself doesn't prepare you for the juggling, just FYI, the realities of your life while studying for it might. Yeah. So there's a counterpoint. But yeah. How about you, Matt? Um, yeah, I I took a prep course from Nathan and uh, learned all this stuff from uh, Nathan and Ben and the Demon. Um, so and and like we we were saying before we came on the air, it's funny we were sitting in criminal procedure this entire semester, and like every time something from the LSAT nerd land would come up, we'd be like, "Ha, that person mistook sufficient for necessary." Like so, we just keep laughing about that and sending each other um, like LSAT memes while we're in actual law school so and that's why we don't have any other friends <laughs> sad day <laughs> that's a lie we're both extremely popular yeah the, but yeah no i mean truly you do sit in classes and especially something about criminal classes for what it's worth yeah. that always does seem to be where it really comes up but it's just like well there's the lsat there's the lsat just yeah. like painfully yeah. obvious 
especially yeah, criminal, and- constitutional. Like that yes. was the most I think I've ever seen it. Totally. Yeah. And evidence. Yeah. Um, I do think that, um, you know, the way that we are able to teach our classes at the demon, because like we're very honest and we're very transparent, the way we're able to teach our classes and talk about things and even put our own personal experience in it, I do think gives a fairly accurate representation But of course, you also only see me for an hour in class while I'm doing this thing I'm already really good at and I already really like doing. So even that, like there's always going to be a learning curve by the time someone actually goes to law school themselves and experiences it. So I think part of it is accepting, which a lot of law students cannot do this, but you have to accept that you're not prepared for everything and you're going to have to learn it on the fly and that that whole thing of like, okay, I'm in here and I've got to learn it as I go is what lawyers do as well, very frequently. So that's a skill in and of itself. You can prepare in a lot of ways. Your LSAT prep will help you. But at the end of the day, you have to be the person who can show up and figure it out when somebody says, here you go. Yep. You have to take it and figure it out as you go. And I think the LSAT is a great training tool for that concept. All right, Ben, anything else uh, before we wrap it up for today? That's all. Yeah. Cool. You can be LSAT famous. Get on up on an upcoming show by emailing help at thinkinglsat.com. If you have questions about the LSAT demon, you can email our amazing customer service team, help at lsatdemon.com. Please do check out our other podcast, LSAT Demon Daily. You just heard that excerpt from Matt and Becca, but uh, there's 230 something more episodes of that show. available on YouTube and wherever you get your podcasts. That was episode 353 of the Thinking LSAT podcast. Thanks all y'all for listening. Nice knowing you. Don't pay for law school. 